Daniels delivers. Rutschman to drive to center. Riley goes back. It will carry over his head. And off the top of the fence, Armstrong scores. Madrigal scores. Routing third on his way to the plate is Gwendier. He scores. A double for Asley Klutzman. Rutschman. And the Beavers pull even at 6 With help from Adley Kletchman, Oregon State had battled halfway through the loser's bracket, winning two straight games and needing two more consecutive wins to conquer their side of the bracket and advance to the championship series. Next up was undefeated Mississippi State. But first things first, Oregon State needed to figure out the error problem. Another error for the Beavers. It's unbelievable how unclean the Beaver baseball game has been. Six errors for Oregon State through the first three games, about two and a half times their normal rate. Playing on turf is one thing, right? It's nice to have turf, obviously, in the Northwest. You have to have it because it rains so much, but you can kind of get lazy as an infielder because you know what's going to happen. You, you can kind of sit back and get away with hops or whatever. Third baseman Michael Gretler had been on a 45-game streak with no errors entering the College World Series. Here in Omaha, he committed an error the very first game, then another error the next game, later a third error. I always really struggled, I think more mentally, when we would go from playing on turf to playing on dirt. I had a couple errors in back-to-back -back games early in the 2018 College World Series, and I just wasn't comfortable on the dirt, and I was sitting back too much, not attacking the ball, not letting my feet work for me. So two things happened that helped Michael. The first was working with mental skills coach Alan Jager, who had taught the practice of meditation to help players like Michael deal with stress. We talked earlier in the series about Michael's phone call around this time in Omaha when he and Alan talked about Michael's self-talk script and getting to a calmer state of mind. That was the start of something better for Michael Gretler, but the second thing that happened was at a practice partway through Oregon State's time in Omaha and an exchange between Jenks and Case. That's assistant coach Andy Jenkins and head coach Pat Casey. And the funny story is we showed up to practice the next day and Jenks was like, Case, like, what do we want to do for practice? Do you have anything that you want to do? And Case goes, I don't give a what we do, but Michael Gretler needs a thousand ground balls at third base. <laughs> Yeah, he, uh, Michael booted a couple balls. It didn't matter what we were going to do. We just needed to make sure we can get somewhere on the field where Michael can take a bunch of ground balls, and, and that's exactly what we did. This is assistant coach Andy Jenkins. Michael was the only one that came out and get four coaches in front of him just watching him take ground balls. So it's kind of a running joke now between like me and Jack Anderson. He's like, you got those 1,000 ground balls that Case wants you to take? He's like, I don't know what we're going to do, but Michael Gretler needs to take 1,000 ground balls. At this day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just like gonna hammer this guy ground balls for an hour. And at that point, I mean, it's like in the middle of June, it's like he's taking a million ground balls, but that's Case's personality, man, it's awesome. What if baseball was more than just a game, more than entertainment? What if the next strikeout could feed a family of five for a whole year? The next home run could provide safe drinking water for an entire village. The next win could help lift an entire community out of poverty. What if we could use baseball to restore hope and save lives? 
Partnering with Major League Baseball, Food for the Hungry is helping impoverished communities through the Striking Out Poverty Campaign. You can join top-level baseball players who are helping with relief efforts in the Dominican Republic, not to mention Food for the Hungry's other amazing campaigns that are changing lives all over the globe. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider donating to Food for the Hungry at fh.org. That's fh.org. The Beavers have won two in a row. They come from behind to defeat North Carolina. 11-6 will play the Bulldogs of Gary Henderson. Oregon State versus Mississippi State and interim head coach Gary Henderson. Yes, the National Coach of the Year still had the interim tag. Why is that? Because Mississippi State's season was one of the more outlandish you'll ever see. Obviously a humiliating time for the program, for assistant coaches, for me. Be a part of something like that, total nonsense. And the players as well and their families, nobody bought into that. But, but they bought into us. They did everything we asked. Mississippi State started the season 0-3, getting swept by Southern Mississippi, and then head coach Andy Cannizzaro, in just his second season, resigned. We don't need to belabor the drama of the whole story, but as for Mississippi State and the aftermath, things were understandably rocky. The Bulldogs started the SEC schedule 2-7, including a shutout loss against LSU to end the month of March, when it seemed the Bulldogs were destined for mediocrity in 2018. Driving home from Baton Rouge on March 31st at 2 and 7 and 14 and 15. And, and I remember vividly to say, man, we're getting better, but we're not, we're not winning. We're getting better. I know we're getting better. I was positive that we're getting better. But, it, you know, you had, all you had really was faith. Mississippi State soon turned it around, sweeping Arkansas and Florida to finish at a respectable yet not dominant 15 and 15 in the SEC. We were at a spot with three weeks left. It seemed like we couldn't afford another loss. We just kept winning. Then in the postseason, they again stumbled but kept their head up. The Bulldogs, a team that is as resilient as Oregon State, just the 23rd team in the current 64-team format to win a regional after losing an opener. And boy, did they lose big. 20-10 to to Oklahoma to open postseason play in Tallahassee, but came back to win four straight and advanced to the Super Regional. The NCAA had no record of an interim coach ever leading a team to the College World Series, that is, until 2018 and Gary Henderson. Once they got there, the Bulldogs won their first two games in Omaha, including a 10-run destruction of North Carolina. That gave Mississippi State a leg up on the Beavers, so now the Bulldogs had two chances to beat Oregon State once. Adding even more intrigue to the Mississippi State story is that Gary Henderson has deep ties with Oregon State. You know, I've known Pat Bailey since I was 19 years old. That goes back quite a ways. So there's tremendous familiarity, so that, that part's great. How did you first cross paths with Pat Bailey? Summer baseball in Eugene. I pitched my freshman year at Linfield for Adley's father, or grandfather, I'm sorry. His dad, Randy, was my catcher. So that made the Beaver thing fun. Legendary Linfield coach and athletic director Ad Rutschman was there when Gary Henderson played at Linfield, so Gary already knew two generations of the Rutschman family, and in Omaha in 2018, he introduced himself to the third generation, young Adley Rutschman. Plus, there's an additional note between Gary Henderson and Pat Bailey. Henderson's son played for Pat Bailey when Pat was the head coach at George Fox, and that's not even the most obvious connection with Oregon State. The National Coach of the Year, former Oregon State assistant. If you need more storylines, a Sheldon High School grad, five-year pitching coach for Pat Casey, 99 through 2003. A good man, good coach. 
As pitching coach and recruiting coordinator, Gary Henderson helped sow the seeds for Oregon State's rise in the mid-2000s, and then he watched from afar as the Beavers won two national titles with players he helped recruit. Now he's coaching against Oregon State for a chance at the College World Series Finals. Did we talk about like the curse, the zoo curse? Oh yes, one more thing before we get to the Mississippi State game. Jack Anderson reminds us of the so-called zoo curse, as in the world-famous Omaha's Henry Dorley Zoo and Aquarium welcoming 2 million visitors annually, including every summer some strapping college baseball players on a day off from the College World Series. For instance, the 2017 Oregon State team, including Jack Anderson, Zach Taylor, and Joe Casey. The year before, we won the first two, so we had that long bye. We went to the zoo. We ended up going to the zoo. We had a great time. That was kind of like our goal. Like, hey, win the first two games, we'll go to the zoo. And then after those two games, we lost the two at LSU. And we always joke around that any team that goes to the zoo doesn't win. There's like a curse or something. I think it was Joe Casey that brought it up. Someone was like, we're not going to the zoo this year. So we made a pact that no one was going to go to the zoo our junior year. When we came back in 2018, there was like a ban, a team ban at the zoo. Like no one was allowed to go because last time we went, we got knocked out. It is cool. It's one of the best zoos in the country, but like we can't go there because look what happened. It's the zoo. It's got to be the zoo. It's my favorite zoo in the world, but yeah, wasn't allowed to go in 2018. So none of us went. Everyone respected the ban on the zoo. So Oregon State arrived in 2018 with no intention of going to the zoo, and then the Beavers lost their first game, meaning they have to play two extra games in the loser's bracket just to play Mississippi State. So we lost that first one, and, you know, I think it was Preston and I were rooming together, and we get back to our room and we say something like, hey, at least we won't have enough days to go to the zoo now, we won't have the curse, or something like that, and we just started laughing. We didn't really have time to go to the zoo anyway in 2018, but... I think we saw Mississippi State, they went to the zoo. We saw that on their like Twitter page or something. Yeah, we saw their teams go to the zoo and we're like, they're screwed. So once we won against North Carolina, we were like, well, this isn't even a big deal. Like we're gonna beat Mississippi State because they got the zoo curse on them. This is Mike Parker welcoming you to the 2018 NCAA College World Series in today's bracket one game between the Beavers and the Mississippi State Bulldogs on another Pacific Northwest sort of feel in America's heartland. Cool, cloudy, 67 degrees, a little breezy, an occasional threat of drizzle, in short, a, a very homey kind of feeling for the Beavers who look to call Omaha home for a little bit longer Mississippi State was that team that year that would find ways to win. They found ways to win almost in the same way as like Oregon State did. As we get underway, Bryce Fummel ready to go to Jake Mangum. And Bryce, big game Bryce, the junior right-hander delivers. And the first pitch fastball misses a little low and inside, ball one. Bryce Femmel's first start in Omaha, the Washington game, was a bit shaky and he would need to be on his game versus Mississippi State. You see guys here go 94 to 98 consistently. He's 88 to 90 and sometimes less than that. So he, he doesn't have room for error. When he makes a mistake, you know, then somebody can do some real damage. If you make a mistake at 94, 95, you know, you don't, you don't get hurt as bad. So he just has to be real precise of where he throws it. OSU could really use a long start from Femmel since a victory would keep the season alive but would also make OSU play the next day, their fourth game in six days. 
So Pat Casey wanted to use his bullpen. Very little. Yeah, I got you. I'd like to see Bryce go eight innings and, you know, go to somebody for one and uh, think that that could help us out. The 1-0 pitch to Mangum. Hits Mangum, and it just feels as though for Bryce and Luke, the aces of the staff, they're just constantly in trouble. <laughs> that was Femmel's second pitch of the game, and while he did get the next two guys out, the inning was not quite over. The runner goes, a line drive to center. Jack Anderson in a hurry has the ball go off his knee and deflect over to Trevor Larnick, and a run will score. one nothing Mississippi State in a ball that's got to be caught. Yeah, that's the first time that's ever happened in my life. I was like, I couldn't believe it. And Case almost took me out. He just like looked at me and was like, are you scared? And I was like, no, the ball just hit my knee. Like, I don't know how it happened. He's like, I don't know either. How about you try catching it? The first inning, the ball goes off Jack's knee, you know. He said, coach, the ball hit my knee. I said, I know, where's your glove? You know, you're... <laughs> I, I get it. You haven't played center field, but, you know, let's get the glove in front of the knee. I got up from that and I was just like, what is going on right now? I just felt like it was a circus. The Beavers are just not the same team defensively without Stephen Kwan. That ball's got to be caught. Jack Anderson came racing in and the ball went off his knee. I slid feet first my whole life and that has never happened to me. But of course, it's got to happen in Omaha. Have you ever gone back to watch the video of that and diagnose what happened? Yeah, like slow motion. I just kind of slid too far. The ball just completely misses my glove and just knocks on my knee. Luckily, Trevor was over there because it, it went far. Like it hit my knee like square, like right on the bone. So the ball just like went way the other way. Maybe you didn't feel it because of the adrenaline, but when it hit your knee, did it hurt? Not at all. I like not even in the slightest, like even after the game, but it should have hurt. Boy, that's a rough start for Bryce and the Beavs. A zero needs to be on the board, and the Beavers need to be getting ready to hit. Femmel did get the next guy out to strand the runner and limit the damage to one run, and Nick Madrigal started the bottom of the first on a good note with a single and a stolen base. Madrigal, one of the great base runners in Oregon State history. He's going to third, the 2-2 pitch, low and away, and no throw. Madrigal with a great read, stealing the bag, has two steals in the sequence. He's at third with nobody out. Caden Grenier walked to bring up Trevor Larnick. The strike one pitch, grounded into right field. Base hit. Nick Madrigal scores. Caden Grenier will motor to third. Trevor Larnick delivers an RBI single. And just like that, the Beavers are even 1-1. First and third, nobody out for Adley Rutschman. Already a chance to break the game open with no outs in the first inning. Grenier at third, Lornick at first, Billingsley comes back to Adley with the strike. One pitch and there is a possible double play ball and in fact Grenier will try to stay caught in a rundown to allow runners to move up. One out recorded and now the double play has a chance to be recorded as the Beavers run themselves into a double play. Rutschman aboard at first and one of the wildest, craziest and most disappointing base running gaffes of the 2018 season for the Beavers. Grenier out between third and home. Larnick thrown out at second. Adley Rutschman after all of that aboard at first as the Beavers run themselves bewilderingly into a double play. 
Rutschman's comebacker was fielded by the pitcher and Caden Grenier broke towards home and got caught in a pickle. While he's caught in between third base and home plate, Trevor Larnick rounded second and edged towards third base thinking he could at least get to third if Grenier was tagged out. But Rutschman had the same idea and ran nearly all the way to second base, so there were two Beavers standing somewhat near second base. Larnick then is thrown out, taking too big of a turn at second and trying to scramble back. And the Beavers not playing clean baseball here in Omaha. You know, it's one of those things that you're just like, oh man, like that couldn't have happened at a worse time, right? Like, you know, it's probably one of those things that happens, what, once every year, maybe twice out of, you know, a, a 70 game season. The play actually gets even crazier when you look at it again. Hunter Stovall is the second baseman, and when he applies the tag on Larnick for the double play, he's got a shot to get Adley Rutschman as well, who is in no man's land halfway between first base and second. Adley tried to sprint back to first, and Hunter Stovall had the ball in his hand at second base, but he did not throw to first. It looked like he thought the inning was over. His teammate Jake Mangum was standing only a few feet away, hollering at him to throw the ball to first, but he didn't seem to notice until it was too late. So Mississippi State got a double play and still left something out there. But it did not come back to bite them as Tyler Malone grounded out to end the inning. It was a tie ball game, but for the Beavers, a frustrating tie. Is in a 1-1 tie, then they know it should be different. It feels frustrating, but at the same time, like, if you dwell on that, then that's when things are going to compound in a negative way. Kind of just got to move on, and hopefully the next guy can, you know, get a hit and start a rally. The important thing would be to keep Mississippi State in check in the top of the second inning, which is when Bryce Femmel got some help from the same teammate that had some trouble the previous inning. Femmel's 2-2 pitch, a line drive to center. Jack Anderson moving over to his left, makes a good read here, and makes the catch. He drives this one to deep left center, but playable. Jack Anderson drifts over and back on this one to pull it in. Here's a pitch to Skelton lifted to left center, and this will stay in the yard. Drifting back is Jack Anderson to make the catch. You caught three fly balls in a row, which is a, a record. Ties the record. It, for it is. <laughs> it is. I'm in, I am in the record books. I got three outs and one inning. Can't do better than that. So I felt pretty good about myself. Jack calmed things down with three putouts, and then the Beavers came to the plate with the score even at one apiece. The strike one pitch on the way to Kyle. Swung on and driven toward the gap in right center field. Racing over his Mangum. This ball gets down. Noback taking a turn on his way for two. Elijah McNamee gets it back in. A leadoff double for Kyle Noback. The senior righty delivers 0-2. A line drive, base hit into center field. Kyle Noback rounding third. He will score. Gretler comes through, and the Beavers have their lead now. Kicks and comes to Nick 2-2. Grounded into left field. Base hit. Michael Gretler is being waved around. Rowdy Johnson's throw goes back into second. Zach Taylor safe there. Gretler scores. And the Beavers lead it 3-1. The Beavers have used a hit batter and two walks in the inning to lead it 4-1. And now Adley Rutschman back to the plate with the bases loaded. I think a few of you may remember what happened the last time. Adley stepped up in such a situation. In fact, one of the great moments I've seen in the Pat Casey era. Although Adley's bases clearing double helped Oregon State beat North Carolina just two days prior, when he stepped to the plate versus Mississippi State here in the second inning, the at-bat on Adley's mind was from the inning before, the soft ground ball that led to a double play. 
In the first at-bat I had, the pitcher did a good job. He had that nice sink to it and had the ball down in the zone. His movement worked to his, his advantage. But next A.B., I got a pitch that was up in the zone that was able to uh, actually stay behind and hit the other way, which was which was nice. And the 1-0 pitch, a line drive, base hit into left field. Madrigal scores, Caden Grenier will score. Adley Rutschman adds to his single-season RBI record, a two-run single to left. And the Beavers lead it 6-1. to one. The five-run lead took pressure off of Bryce Femmel, and Bryce himself deserves a lot of credit for flipping the momentum with a 1-2-3 inning in the second, but the trend of Oregon State starters enduring turbulence early in the game came true again. And he's hit by the first pitch that Thummel throws in the third. A breaking ball that had nothing on it. Delivers a changeup, a ground ball up the middle into center field for a base hit. And going to third base will be Jordan Westberg. And here we go. First and third, nobody out. Swings and grounds one wide of third and off the glove of Gretler into left field for a base hit. Femmel limited the damage to one run, but the next inning held more trouble, starting with the very first pitch of the fourth inning. Femmel about to make his 50th pitch of the afternoon. And the first offering to Fescue is a ground ball double down the left field line. Fescue will cruise to second with Novak getting the ball back in. And again, it's just not in the cards, it appears, for the Bees to ease home today. We just really haven't got a, a good start, you know, so we're kind of concerned about that. Obviously, you're pinned against the wall when you, when you get to the loser's bracket. And, wow, to answer my thought, they wouldn't wait long. They're not waiting any longer. Here comes Nate Yeski now to go to the bullpen now and ride Brandon Eisert, they hope, now and for a long time. Reliever Brandon Eisert entered in the fourth inning with a runner on third base. The sophomore southpaw kicks, delivers, fastball, foul tipped, held, strike three, the inning is over. The next half inning, the offense picked up where Eisert left off, starting with Trevor Lernick. Trevor cruises into second with a leadoff double. What a rope that was. That ball just blasted into the right field corner. Keegan James delivers, no back, a line drive, base hit to right field. Trevor Lornick rounding third on his way to the plate. McNamee's throw is cut off. Lornick scores, no back comes through again, and the Beavers lead it 7-2. Pitch to Zach Taylor, a line drive to center field. Jack Mangum going back. This will carry past Jack all the way to the base of the fence in right center. Gretler scores, Jack Anderson scores, Zach Taylor into third with a triple. The Beavers lead it 9-2. With how well OSU is hitting, it made it that much harder on Mississippi State coach Gary Henderson to figure out what to tell his pitchers. When you make good pitches, you get them out. And that's kind of a standard saying that every pitching coach ever has probably uttered to a staff. And But it's true. If you make good pitches, you get them out. But the margin of error when you're facing them right now is not, is not very good. Besides the fact that they've got really good players, they do a really good job of making you pay for mistakes. Out of the stretch, Work Smith, the 3-2 pitch. Larnick hits it sharply into left field. Base hit. Zach Taylor scores. Trevor Larnick, an RBI single to left. The Beavers lead it 10-2. Oregon State got to double digits in the seventh inning, and then came Pat Casey's son into the game. It'll bring Joe Casey, really happy for Joe, getting a chance in Omaha as a pinch hitter.
I was really excited to get a chance to play in the World Series because I'd grown up going there. I went all four times before I was on the team. I was a bat boy, and then I was a fan, and then, you know, I was a player. So it was awesome getting that experience, and I blooped one into center, so <laughs> that was cool, too. Swings and gets a base hit to center field. Routing third on his way to the plate and coming in to score, Trevor Lornick on the base hit for Joe Casey. The Beavers lead it 11-2. Good times for Joe and the Casey family in Omaha. Madrigal swings and whacks one fair down the left field line, heading towards the corner. Jack Anderson rounding third on his way to the plate. He will score on a double by Nick Madrigal, and the Beavers lead it 12-2. By the end of the day, Oregon State put 26 runners on base, and even without hitting a single home run, the Beavers scored 12 runs. It wasn't just good hitting, it was gritty at bats. Nick Madrigal at one point fouled off six pitches in a row before drawing a walk, similar to Caden Grenier doing almost an identical thing the previous game. And meanwhile, Brain and Isert kept posting zeros on the scoreboard, keeping Mississippi State stuck at two runs scored. In fact, Isert, nicknamed Izzy, pitched the remainder of the game with zero earned runs. Never would have dreamed that Izzy would have given us that much length. Uh, never would have dreamed that Fem couldn't get us to, to five, but you know it's just been kind of a scrap deal with the mound, and some guys have come in and done really well. He was unbelievable. You know, he did exactly what we needed him to do, and a lot more. You know, I don't know if anyone expected him to finish out the game. Zach Taylor comes over in front of the Mississippi State dugout, makes the catch. I shirt a one-two-three inning, and there will be a tomorrow for the Oregon State baseball team. They cruise home with a 12-2 victory over Mississippi State, their third consecutive victory in an elimination game. It'll be the Beavers in Mississippi State to battle it out tomorrow for bracket one supremacy in a move into next week's championship series. Oregon State and Mississippi State would play a decisive rematch. The loser goes home, the winner advances out of the bottom bracket. The top half of the bracket was decided first, as Arkansas swept the field and had already secured their spot in the championship series. The Beavers and Bulldogs needed an extra day to decide their winner, so the turnaround would be short, about 24 hours between the first game and the rematch. So for the most part, the players would be resting up at the hotel, but the funny thing is, the team hotel had recently started feeling a little different. After like seven days at our hotel, they like stopped cleaning our rooms. And I don't know why. The cleaning people just like had enough with us. I don't know. Yeah, you started to notice. I remember like a few days in and we we're like, oh, like is our room not being clean, dude? Like I remember being with Quan and like, what's going on? We just had the dirtiest rooms for two weeks. There was a mess, just a complete mess. So that means just windows were open just like all day long. I was staying with Andy Armstrong and Elliot Willie. We still had our shoes in those hotel rooms. So when you got three pairs of shoes that were just being played in some Omaha heat. <laughs> it's not smelling too good. We were just like living in just filth, but luckily we're just college guys. We didn't really care. But I mean, Quan and I, like we, we really didn't care that much. There was just a lot of protein shakes, dirty shoes, and it was a pigsty. And like, it doesn't matter how many times you called people to like bring something with you. They weren't coming. It was disgusting. I remember getting new towels though from the front desk. We kept winning. So we're just like, we got to stay here. We can't change anything. 
Is, is there anything in particular you can point to with you know these starting pitchers not being able to go deep and, and, and struggling? Is, is there any reason for it? No, the head coach. You know, <laughs> um, you know I don't know. I, I, I don't know. You know, we, we gave Luke the ball 17 times or 18 times, and he was 16 and one. Fems won, I don't know, 26 games at Oregon State in three years. It's just, I don't know. Pat Casey had seen his two best pitchers, Luke Heimlich and Bryce Femmel, both struggle in the College World Series, but the team had still managed to get all the way within one game of the championship series. But for the first time in three weeks, the starting pitcher would be someone other than Heimlich or Femmel. With how the schedule played out, and by sweeping the Super Regional, those two had been able to alternate every game since the Regional. But at this point, the Mississippi State rematch would be the fifth game in the last week. Someone else had to start. And who might that be? Well, remember the regional championship versus LSU, when it was finally becoming clear OSU might have more than two strong starters. Heimlich, Femmel, Abel? If Abel yeah. is able to continue in this kind of vein... There's no question, I mean, who, who the number three is. You know, in a season where that, that's been a, an issue ongoing no throughout the year, this might be a good time to settle that. Kevin Abel did seem to settle that, shutting out the Tigers for eight innings. However, he had not started a game since then, although he did throw four innings in relief versus Washington, and that was just five days earlier. So who would start in the second Mississippi State game? Pat Casey was asked that right after the first game. Well, we talked about that this morning in our meeting, and you know, then we said, let's not talk about it. Let's just, you know, <laughs> seriously, let's just win. If we win, we'll talk about it. But Christian Chamberlain has started before. Gambrell started before. We've had a couple guys that, like that that have started before. Obviously, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of up against it a little bit here, so we might have to piece it together just to get through it. You also heard Pat stop short of declaring a starter, and he didn't even mention Kevin Abel when he talked about three possible guys in Pierce, Chamberlain, and Gambrell. But I would still think Kevin Abel, even though there's no official announcement or word on it, would indeed be in that conversation. Personally, I wondered if Pat knew Kevin would start, but avoided his name to exercise some gamesmanship, throwing Mississippi State off the scent. Or maybe Pat Casey had genuinely just not thought of Kevin Abel in that moment. When I asked Kevin Abel about Pat's answer two years after the fact, Kevin thought it was not either of those reasons. Probably because if he would have said my name, people would have crucified him because of days of rest or whatever and blah, blah, blah. But I knew how my body felt and I knew I was feeling good. The days of rest conversation has only become more volatile over the years, and for good reason, since the idea is to protect the pitchers and prevent injuries. But Kevin is not shy about defending Pat Casey or pitching coach Nate Yeske, even if he did throw a lot of innings on shortened rest. I didn't look tired when I was out there for seven innings, so obviously I was feeling okay. I hadn't pitched a whole lot up until the last part of the season. If you really go into the College World Series, you didn't really have that many innings. I think I doubled the amount of innings I threw starting in the month of May and on. My body was fresh. I think I threw the same amount of innings I did my freshman year as I did in high school. So Kevin felt he was ready to go on four days rest. Meanwhile, Mississippi State had its own starting pitcher conundrum. Ethan Small was the Bulldogs' ace pitcher, a first-round draft pick the next season, and the plan all along was to have him pitch in the second game versus Oregon State if there was one. So on game day in the first matchup versus OSU, he knew he would not be playing, but he still got injured. Getting hit by a line drive in batting practice yesterday. Hit in the left elbow, and he's a southpaw. A line drive hit him as he was shagging balls and momentarily looked away, was not behind a screen.
Ethan Small's teammate Hunter Stovall delivered the accidental shot in the arm. Ethan stayed on the ground for several minutes to the dismay of his head coach, Gary Henderson. It's unbelievable. I don't even know what to say. And I'm like a, a grandma or mom or overprotective father telling them all the time, man, you're not bulletproof, you know, and that's, that's where they are in life. And they stay behind that screen, man. They, they have heard that ad nauseum from me. But freak accidents happen, and, and it hit him, and uh, we're planning on him pitching tomorrow. Fortunately, Ethan Small was not hurt too bad, and so the matchup for Game 2 would be Ethan Small versus Kevin Abel for a shot at the championship series. Today's Bracket 1 championship game between the Oregon State Beavers and the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Those Mississippi State games are wild. I think everybody knew, like, hey, you know, we're going to the national championship, and this is really what we were here to do, and that was absolutely the attitude. That 2018 team, they showed up there like, yeah, we're going to win this thing. No doubt about it. We can lose our first game. We're going to win the rest. Like, we know how this works. Well, I always say in the dugout, hey, boys, we freaking rake. Like, we're the best hitting team ever. We go out there and we want to play for each other. You know, the outfield wants to do it for Kwani, who's, you know, banged up right now. And, you know, our starting pitching is not throwing well. And Izzy wanted to do it for those guys. And you got a bigger purpose and a why for what you're doing. I think your level of play goes up. Ninth inning. The ninth inning was quite memorable. There's no doubt about that. Some 297 teams set out on their various journeys four months ago, and now on a warm 79-degree, beautiful evening in America's heartland, the field to win the national championship has been narrowed to three. The Arkansas Razorbacks eliminated defending national champion Florida last night and await the winner of tonight's ballgame between Oregon State and Mississippi State. Well, you know, we got their Friday night guy, you know, so, I mean, he's going to come out and be tough. Ethan Small with some bravado before the game, quoted in the Omaha World Herald newspaper, quote, I don't think they're incredibly special. <laughs> Said they've got a good offense, but they're not, quote, incredibly special. And so far, two quick outs and ahead to Larnick. The 1-2 pitch to Trevor under the hand, swung out and missed, strike three. And a tremendous start for Ethan Small, perhaps more than anything else, to put a zero up and to do so in emphatic fashion, striking out two of three. The Beavers were retired in order. An impressive start for Southpaw Ethan Small. And now Beaver freshman right-hander Kevin Abel, ready to face the switch-hitting junior Jake Mangum. Abel delivers a strike two pitch, a ground ball to third. Backhanded by Gretler, the throw to first is just in time. The 3-2 pitch on the way from Abel, hit sharply to the right of Madrigal. Nick smothers it, throws to first and gets him. Two down. The strike two pitch on the way to Allen. Fastball, swung on and missed, strike three. The inning is over and both pitchers set a good tone in this bracket one championship game in Omaha. Kevin Abel's first inning was promising, but Oregon State's starting pitchers had rarely strung together five or six good innings in Omaha. That's why Pat Casey felt coming into this game, the Beavers would need to score a lot of runs. Typically, let's just say we're on a Friday night, we'd feel like we can play for a run or two because Luke's going to be real good, and if you get three runs, you can win. You're in a situation now where you feel like three runs is not enough, and so... Got to play for big innings, got to play for runs, got to play for extra base hits and things like that. Big innings, extra base hits, that's the key. After getting blanked by Ethan Small in the first inning, the Beavers flipped the script in the second. 
Adley leading off, and he swings and bangs it into left field for a base hit. Two and one the count to Gretler. No score in the second. The pitch to Michael is banged into left field. Base hit. Tyler Malone at the plate, the designated hitter. And a balk called. And the third balk of the postseason on Ethan Small. And Adley Rutschman to third. Michael Gretler to second. Pat Casey wanted big innings, and the table was set. Second and third, no outs. The 3-2 pitch on the way is lifted into shallow right field. This won't be deep enough. Going out is Stovall. Coming in is McNamee. McNamee makes the catch. Rutschman tags and holds at third. One and two to Novak. Small delivers. Taken. Strike three call. Two down. Now there's two outs for Zach Taylor. Two for eight for the College World Series. He lifts one to center field and shallow. Going out is Stovall coming in and smacked to me the right fielder to make the catch. And that's a great bit of work by Ethan Small as the Beavers let Ethan off the hook. No runs, two hits. Runners at second and third and nobody out and the Beavers come up empty. Mississippi State had all the momentum going to the bottom of the second, but Kevin Abel struck out the first batter and then faced Elijah McNamee. Elijah McNamee, after yesterday's 12-2 drubbing at the hands of the Beavers, quoted as saying, of Oregon State, they have no idea what's coming tomorrow. As it's a confident bunch of Bulldogs. Change up, strike three, call, two down. Apparently McNamee had no idea what was coming on that pitch. <laughs> that was Kevin Abel's third consecutive strikeout, and he cobbled together another 1-2-3 frame in the second inning to keep the game scoreless. Jack Anderson will lead things off against left-hander Ethan Small, who finessed his way out of a tough situation last inning impressively. Second and third, nobody out and put up a zero. Baseball is a momentum game, and a letdown like squandering two runners in scoring position can easily put a damper on the innings to follow. But remember the first game against Mississippi State when the Beavers committed a base running blunder in the first inning and ran themselves into a double play? That killed the momentum for OSU in theory, but the Beavers scored five runs the very next inning. I think that was something we were really good at. You know, we were really good at staying in the moment, not compounding mistakes, and then taking advantage uh, when things were going our way to compound in the positive way. Michael Gretler's characterization of Oregon State would be put to the test here in Game 2 versus Mississippi State right after the disappointing second inning. The 3-2 pitch on the way, fastball swung on and missed, strike three. And it's Ethan Small who's winning battles here early. Madrigal swings and it's a grounder to short. Up with it is Luke Alexander. Throws a one-hopper that's picked nicely by Tanner Allen. And so far, Ethan Small keeping the Beavers quiet. Last inning, the Beavers did not score even with nobody out, two runners in scoring position. This time, two outs, nobody on base. Our whole dugout kind of gets a little smiley when we get two outs because we know something special might happen. Ethan Small has been very effective thus far. The ace of the staff from Mississippi State delivers. Grenier does too. Drives it towards the left field corner. Caden will have extra bases here. Rowdy Jordan gathers the ball at the 335 mark in the corner, and Caden pulls into second with a double. For some extra good luck, perhaps, radio announcer Mike Parker was paid an unexpected visit in the broadcast booth during this inning. A longtime friend to Corvallis in Oregon State, Harold Reynolds. Harold, good evening. Hey, Mike. How you doing, buddy? Doing well. Great to yeah. see you. 
two-time MLB All-Star and Corvallis native Harold Reynolds stayed to do some impromptu color commentating while OSU tried to parlay Caden Grenier's double into a two-out rally. Up next was Trevor Larnick. He's had a great World Series, been seeing the ball great. I'm expecting big things here. If they throw him a strike, we're going to have trouble here for them. Grenier at second, two down, three and one to Larnick. No score in the third. Trevor swings, hits it wide at first, juggled in second by the second baseman Stovall, and everybody's safe. Trevor Larnick indeed caused some trouble. Now it's two runners on base again, but still two outs. Adley Rutschman in, switch hitting catcher, bang to base hit. Last inning, and he does here. A line drive, base hit, scorched to center field. Grenier scores, Larnick into second. Rutschman, Clutchman comes through again. The Beavers lead it one to nothing. Harold, that ball was smoked. It really was. Rutschman, Clutchman, I love that. <laughs> you know, I've heard a lot of talk. We're talking about the other guys have been picked pretty high already. This young man, they're already talking about maybe 1-1 next year, the first pick in the country. Adley got the game's first RBI, and there's still two runners on base with Michael Gretler up to bat. Now, Harold Reynolds had seen the Beavers play earlier in the year and took particular notice of Gretler. Yeah, actually, you know, it's funny. I, I was thinking when I saw him play, and unbeknownst to me, I didn't know who any of the players were when I went to Corvallis earlier in the year. I thought he was the best player I saw. You know, meeting Harold once, he's obviously, you know, you see him on TV and play for the Mariners and play in the MLB. So that's obviously a huge compliment from, from a guy like him. And I don't know if I agree with it. I think there were a, a lot better players than me that are still playing now, but kind of gave me the chills just hearing it. Granted, once Harold started watching the team more, he understood why some of Gretler's teammates would ultimately be drafted higher, but that still says something about the Beavers' third baseman, who had recently been drafted in the 10th round. Three balls and two strikes to Michael Gretler. The Beavers have a run, but you feel like Mississippi State would consider it a bit of a triumph if that's all that happens. Larnick to go from second, Rutschman from first, the 3-2 pitch to Michael, a line drive to center field, base hit. Larnick will score, Rutschman stops at second, a great at-bat from Michael Gretler, and the Beavers lead it 2 to nothing. Not a bad inning for having two outs and nobody on base a few minutes ago, and it's not over yet. Two outs, nobody on, and the Beavers' relentless offense comes to life. Tyler Malone, who flied to right field last inning, comes to the plate. Facing Ethan Small, and it was kind of that left-on-left -left thing. The left-hander Ethan Small, with activity beginning behind him in the bullpen, comes to Malone, the pitch in the dirt. Rutschman breaks for third and gets there, and Gretler into second on the wild pitch. It was right after a curveball that he threw in the dirt, and in this situation, um, I kind of geared up for the fastball because of what the count was. The pitch to Malone just high. Ball three, three and one, and another pretty good take. Yeah, he spit on that one. You know, that's what you say when you're seeing the ball so well. Just spit on that one. <laughs> so here he is sitting in another 3-1 situation. And Larnick had the same one. I think Larnick missed his pitch on 3-1. We'll see if Malone's able to get a pitch and drive it. And naturally, like sometimes as left-handed hitters, facing left-handed pitchers, we like want to pull off a little bit. So I remember that instance, like I was just telling myself, keep my direction staying through center field because like I didn't want to pull off a pitch and miss it. But he gave me a fastball and it was like, it was low, but it was like middle away. Out of the stretch works Ethan Small, the 3-1 pitch. Malone drives it to deep right center field.
I know I hit it good, but you know, right center in this park, especially with the wind coming in a little bit, it wasn't like positive right off the bat, but I know I hit it well. The 3-1 pitch, Malone drives it to deep right center field. Back goes McNamee to the track, to the fence, so long! A three-run homer for Tyler Malone, and the Beavers lead it 5 to nothing. He got the pitch he wanted, Harold, and blasts it two rows deep at the 375 mark. Well, you can see it coming. You know, the whole A-B, he laid off a lot of pitches, particularly the 3-1 pitch. He just spit on it. He was recognizing early, and he got the pitch in that he wanted, and he drove it. He didn't miss it. Initially, I didn't think it was going to go out. It's funny. If you look back at the replay of it, I'm booking it. Like, I'm booking it around first, booking it basically almost on second. I was running so hard because the center fielder and the right fielder, they, like, run into each other. There's chaos going on out there. I thought the ball like stayed in. And then I looked to Jenks, the third base coach, and he was like clapping his hands. So I looked at him and then looked back and like the outfielders were chilling. And I was like, oh, it must have gone out. And uh, I was saying Larnick missed his. He didn't miss that one. That was beautiful. <laughs> oh, that was well struck. His third College World Series homer, 5 nothing Beavers. All of this happening with two outs and nobody on. Five nothing Beavers. It's a backbreaker, man. Those two out hits. It just it shows really a lot about the character of a team. It's kind of been the theme of this whole season. I don't know how we do it. I really want to know the stat on how many runs we scored with two outs because it's got to be. Some well, here in Omaha, 29. Wow. Just in the, in the five. Yeah. So we have to lead the country with two out two out runs, but. You know, when, you know, when someone hits a double with two outs, you kind of, we all just look at each other like, oh, here we go again. We'll come back with more with Harold, who certainly upon his arrival, the Beavers got it going. Good luck, Charm. <laughs> Five runs for the Beavers <laughs> in the top of the third. Kevin Abel and Harold Reynolds were enjoying the two-out hitting, and then the focus was for Kevin and the defense to protect that lead. 1-0 fastball grounded to the hole at short. Backhanded by Grenier and throws to first for the out. And it's a 1-2-3 inning for Kevin Abel. Breaking ball whacked towards the gap into left field. Kyle Novak hustles over to cut it off. A long single, now a throw to second. And out at second! Nick Madrigal receiving the relay from Grenier and the inning is over! Kevin Abel did his part with help from the defense, and while Mississippi State did score one run in the third inning, it stayed a 5-1 ball game into the sixth. Kevin Abel kept pitching the contact, and the defense was holding steady, at least for a while. The pitch on the way is hit sharply to Madrigal. Madrigal juggles it once and twice, and instead of a double play, everybody's safe. Nick to his right on the sharply hit ball I thought was going to end the inning by fielding the ball, stepping on second, and throwing to first. And Nick, handcuffed by the bounder, ends up getting no outs out of it. It was a tough play. I mean, it was a slow chopper over, and he came in, and those are just kind of do or dies, right? Like, if you don't go get it, the guy's going to be safe, so you got to just run through it and just kind of handcuff him a little, I think. The Beavers, in their previous 16 games before coming here, had three errors. They now have eight errors in their five games in Omaha. It was Nick's first error of the season. I was like, oh, man, that doesn't happen very often. It's very rare that he makes a mistake, and so you know he's not going to do it again. As some pressure builds on Abel and the Bees with Mississippi State trying to fight their way back. Abel's 3-2 pitch, fastball, a line drive, caught by Gretler, throws to Madrigal at second. There's the double play. The inning is over. 
right after Nick Madrigal botched a potential double play, Nick completed a double play to end the inning. And to make it even better, the guy who started that double play, Michael Gretler, was the one who had experienced some error trouble earlier in Omaha. And that's all he needed. It's just a ball hit to him to make a nice play, to be like, okay, I'm Michael Gretler, I'm a sure glove, and, and let's roll on from here. To be honest, kind of a sigh of relief because, I mean, anytime a guy hits a ball that hard, you're like, oh, man, like that could have been, you know, down in the corner, rattled around for a couple runs. So sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, I guess. This was the second straight inning Mississippi State got thrown out at second base to end the inning. The next time at bat, Mississippi State didn't even have a shot to get thrown out at second base since no Bulldog hitter reached base at all. Jack Anderson goes back to get it. He's there to make the catch. And Abel, after scuffling a little bit last inning, returns to form and retires the side in order in the seventh. Kevin Abel had gone seven innings, just three hits, and only one run allowed. The changeup felt really good in the uh, first couple innings, and I, I lost it kind of middle of the game, and then it came back to me in the sixth and seventh and helped get me through. Curveball was kind of hit or miss today, but I mean, fastball location. Fastball command. That's probably the biggest thing. When I when I had that, they didn't they didn't do any damage. Six outs away, but it won't be Abel who will get those last six. Jake Mulholland, who pitched three brilliant innings against North Carolina on Wednesday, is going to be asked to try to get a six-out save here tonight. If Kevin Abel started the car, Jake Mulholland kept the motor running, needing just a dozen pitches to complete the eighth. Mulholland ready, delivers, swung on and missed for strike three on the changeup to retire the side. Mulholland comes out of the bullpen and retires Mississippi State in order. Oregon State was still in control up 5-1, to one, but the only concerning thing is the offense, which at this point had gone five straight innings without scoring. In the ninth inning, with one out and nobody on base, Pat Casey tried to jumpstart OSU by turning to a recent fifth-round draft pick. And look who's coming up. Steven Kwan will bat for Kyle Novak, and he's getting a standing ovation just for the fact of coming to the plate here in the top of the ninth inning. The Beavers catalyst all year long, their center fielder all year long. Quan had injured his hamstring five days earlier against Washington, and now in the ninth inning, organized chants of Kwani's name greeted the center fielder. And all along, there had been the hope that if the Beavers could play their way into the championship series, that Quan might have a chance to come back on Monday. The Beavers are three outs away from at least testing that possibility. Quan hits a fly ball to left field. Rowdy Jordan drifts back, makes the catch. Pretty good swing, and I think Pat Casey, more than anything else, wanted to give Quani a chance to swing, to run out of the box. It was good to see Quan enter the game, but he could not ignite the offense, and Oregon State went down in order, having gone scoreless the entire game other than the two-out rally in the third inning. A quick one-two-three inning. The Beavers have been relatively quiet offensively all night but their fans anything but now as we go to the bottom of the ninth inning Jake Mulholland trying to pitch the Beavers into the championship series the Beavers need three outs to get there Mississippi State had a flair for the dramatic in the 2018 postseason. The Bulldogs had won a Super Regional game on a walk-off home run, and then in Omaha, their freshman slugger Jordan Westberg had tied the College World Series record with seven RBIs in one of their games. 
And it was also Westberg who is credited with starting Mississippi State's new twist on the rally cap. Instead of a traditional inside-out baseball cap to superstitiously spark a comeback, Westberg had invented something even more eccentric. Westberg tried a cell phone on his head, a radar gun on his head, trying to put the right object on his head that would inspire a rally. It ended up being a banana. Westberg had first donned a banana in a regional game, and when the team kept winning, the symbol stuck. Fans started bringing bananas to games or wearing banana-related clothing and costumes in the stands. Even their head coach Gary Henderson loved it. The banana thing was great. The people at Adidas were awesome, you know, in terms of T-shirts and bananas and, and all the rest. Now down to their final inning, moments away from being eliminated, the Bulldogs needed a rally, and they needed a rally banana. I've been a part of too many games at Oregon State to know that I shouldn't have felt too comfortable because for some reason we always like keeping it a little bit too close in the ninth inning. It wasn't as smooth as we'd have liked it to have been. That was one of the craziest half innings. Wouldn't be a game for us unless it was something crazy. You go into it going, you know what, like we got the best defense in the nation. Moley's going to just do his job and we're going to take care of it. And, and yeah, it, it didn't go as planned. Mississippi State's season would end if the Bulldogs did not score at least four runs right here. The winner goes to the College World Series Finals. Stephen Kwan remains in the game and will play center field. An interesting move by head coach Pat Casey, and I think it's perhaps as much as anything else to test Stephen under fire. Very rarely in the outfield are you going to like full on sprint forward. For some reason, like my angles, like if I was going back or like backhand angle, it felt pretty good. So I told Case about that. He watched me in warmups and he was convinced. Luckily for Quan, he did not get anything hit to him early on in the ninth inning. Mulholland's 2-2, fastball taken, strike three call, one away. What a pitch by Jake Mulholland. Mulholland got ahead 0-2 to the second batter of the inning as well. Mulholland delivers a line drive to right field. Lornick is there, makes the catch, two down. Jake Mulholland had faced five hitters so far. He had gotten all five hitters out. The Beavers are one out away from the championship series, which begins Monday against the Arkansas Razorbacks. 6.05 Central, 4.05 Pacific. But before we worry about start times for the final series, we've got to get one last measly out. Elijah McNamee, the last gasp for Gary Henderson's Mississippi State Bulldog team, which has been so resilient, staving off elimination in the Tallahassee Regional, in the Super Regional in Vanderbilt. Two down, nobody on. The pitch on the way to McNamee. Chop foul up along third. No balls in one strike. You can hear Beaver Nation. The chance of OSU. Let's go, Beavers. Here we go, Beavers. Fans on their feet in the orange and black at TD Ameritrade. The strike one pitch is swung on and missed, and the Beavers are a strike away. Jake Mulholland had gotten to an 0-2 count to each batter this inning. It's a four-run game, nobody on base, two outs, an 0-2 count, and Mulholland had not even allowed a single base runner today. 
He gets the first two guys out like nothing. He's 0-2 on the next guy. And it was just all self-inflicted damage. And it's just wild because Jake, anyone that's, you know, spent some time with him and knows him, he's one of the coolest, calmest guys. He's one of the guys that honestly you would at least expect to kind of get riled in a big situation like that. But that's exactly what happened. You know, he got a little tired and made, made a couple mistakes. For the first five hitters he faced, he was just lights out. I mean, it was bang, bang, bang. So, you know, it's hard to think that that's going to happen that quick. It did. You know, you got to give Mississippi State credit. They, they've been feeding off that comeback thing all year long. So, um, but anyway, he, was, he still had good stuff. He just missed. Beaver fans rise into their feet on this warm, beautiful night in Omaha. Mulholland ready, the strike two. Fastball just outside. Ball one. One and two. Just one inch or two different, and the ball game would have been over. Caden Grenier started to run towards Mulholland to celebrate and then pirouetted back into position at short. One more pitch for the 27th out and a trip into the championship series. Two down, nobody on, bottom of the ninth, five to one Beavers. Mulholland ready, delivers, fastball low, ball two, two and two. In total, there were more than 21,000 fans at this game. All game long, the Mississippi State faithful had overpowered Beaver fans in numbers and usually in volume. But sensing the game's conclusion, the Beaver fans were the only ones to be heard as Mulholland remained just one strike away. Sounds like Goss Central right here. Let's go Beavers on a 2-2 pitch on the way from Mulholland. Breaking ball down and in. Ball three, three and two. Good job by McNamee not giving in. He was down in the count, 0 oh and 2. It's 3 and 2. Two down, nobody on. Bottom of the ninth, no one throwing back of Jake Mulholland. Jake and the Beavers still needing that 27th out to get a day off and play again on Monday in the best of three championship series. The 3 2 fastball just inside. Ball four. Nate Yeski saying that's not out, Billy. That's not out. I'm not sure what Billy was thinking, other than maybe he's enjoying this beautiful evening and wants to umpire a little bit longer. Mulholland appeared to have painted the black. Maybe from center field, you can kind of see the strike zone. Do you remember there being a few balls that were called balls that really looked pretty close to strikes? I mean, I'm going to be honest. I think that happens a lot with us. I think our pitchers do too good of a job, and the umpires don't give them enough credit, and Adley frames too good to not get the calls. But Mulholland did not get the call and gave up a walk for the first base runner he's allowed. Adley Rutschman out for a chat with Mulholland. Jake is about to make his 32nd pitch. Two quick outs in the bottom of the ninth, and then 0-2 on McNamee. Give Elijah credit, keeping his team's hopes a little bit longer alive. Mulholland threw a first pitch strike to the next hitter, Justin Foscu, but could not stay ahead in the count to him either. Beaver Nation quieting down just a bit as Mulholland delivers low and in, ball three, three and one. Mulholland had thrown three straight balls, and seven of his last eight pitches had missed the strike zone. Mulholland out of the stretch, delivers ball four, and hope still alive for Mississippi State. And the Beavers, I know, feel it's on Van Raphorst right now, with Luke Alexander coming to the plate and the tying run on deck. Mulholland threw another ball to start the next at-bat, so nine of his last ten pitches have been outside the zone. 
Now remember that OSU players from the beginning of the year had placed a huge emphasis on the mental game, meditating and visualizing moments like this, and Jake Mulholland was one of the players who participated in those meditation sessions, and he says it helped him a lot. But in this game, Jake was not necessarily falling back on what he'd learned. You've got 30,000 fans screaming their heads off in a situation like that. I kind of just blacked out a little bit and was just trying to not have my heart jump out of my chest. To be fair to Jake, he was only 21 years old, and with life lessons or positive habits, even the most mature 21-year-olds won't live those out perfectly every time. At that time, if I was better at being able to control myself, I think that game at least would have gone a lot smoother. <laughs> Adley Rutschman out to the mound. Nick Madrigal comes to the mound. Rutsch and Nick visiting with Jake Mulholland, who is trying to get that final out. And that's the thing about baseball. You can't take a knee. You got to keep giving the other guy his chance. There's no running out of a clock. After seemingly so close to finishing the game without issue, now it's unclear if Mulholland will even finish it at all. Christian Chamberlain and Luke Heimlich throwing. The 1-1 pitch is a line drive, base hit into left field. Rounding third is McNamee. He will score, and the tying run will come to the plate from Mississippi State in the bottom of the ninth inning. I was like, oh no, oh no, what's going to happen now? Mississippi State scored its first run since the third inning. It's 5-2 now. Out in center field, Stephen Kwan was starting to get a little apprehensive, not just about the game itself, but his own health. Kwan had not been worried about his hamstring earlier in the inning because it seemed the game was practically over. Admittedly, you know, we were up by three and we had Mulholland in the mound. I'm like, this is a close case. You know, we just won the first game, second game. We just got to lock it in with three outs. And then, you know, the walk, everybody gets on. And I'm like, oh, shit. like this might come down to a ball in the gap. Better get real loose here. If Quan let a ball land for a hit that should have been caught, that could end up being the difference between Oregon State playing for a national championship or their season ending right now. There was definitely some doubt where I was like, I might have just screwed the team here, you know, if I'm not 100%. Did you consider, oh gosh, I got to tell Case, do we need to get someone else in or are you just going to play it out and if they do hit a ball, then they hit a ball to the gap? Yeah, I, I considered it. I ran all the scenarios through my head. I was being like really honest with myself. Like, you know, is this a pride thing? Like, am I just out here because I want to be or am I out here because I think I can help the team? If we were up by one, I probably would have would have yanked myself. It's just not worth it. It's never going to be worth it in that situation. Quan was in center. I was, I was like, Quan, can you run? Jack Anderson was in left field, and he was also worried about Quan. I was kind of just nervous that I was going to have to like go get a ball in dead center because Quani not being able to get to it because of his hamstring. Quani told me he considered taking himself out. I know I was uh, I was freaking out. I was like, Quani, this is a bad idea having you out here right now. It helped a little bit that Mulholland got ahead 0-2 to the next batter. But again, Mulholland to strike away. No balls, two strikes, two on, two out. Bottom of the ninth, five to two Beavers. Jake set, the left-hander ready. Kicks and delivers, and he hits Dustin Skelton to load him up. The winning run, Jordan Westberg, who hit a grand slam earlier in this tournament against North Carolina, will come to the plate representing the winning run in the bottom of the ninth inning. He just kind of missed a little bit, walked a guy, and then missed the, you know, the slider, hit the kid.
I got two outs real quick and then I might have walked another guy and gave up a single. I ended up getting a guy 0-2 and I like hit him. It got to the point where there was two outs and the bases were loaded and the winning run was up. And it was, you know, obviously crazy. Pretty crazy ninth inning there. What were you thinking with the bases loaded, your season's on the line, your work is done, so you have no tangible impact on the game. You're just watching Jake. Where were you at and your heart rate at at that moment? Oh, it was all good. I mean, when he's coming, bases loaded, no outs, gotten out of it without giving up a run. Kevin Abel started this game and his work put OSU in position to win, but it's also possible his seven innings would go to waste and the season is done. Kevin Abel has no control over which of those options come true, but he was not worried. We knew he was going to get out of it, so I was just kind of waiting to see how it was going to happen. <laughs> Sometimes those jams that Mulholland would get himself out of were even jams he got himself into. Mully's been one to do that before, where he lets some little action get going and then he gets out of it. He's a man of drama. He likes making those moments really, really big. That's where he does his best work. Matt Casey and pitching coach Nate Yeski did send Luke Heimlich and Christian Chamberlain to the bullpen, though. So was Jake even going to have a chance to finish the game himself? Pitching coach sent a guy down to the bullpen to go warm up, you know, thinking Jake might need some relief here. I honestly thought the same thing was going to happen because I'm out there and I was kind of getting ready to get pulled and Case wouldn't let me get pulled. Molly's got us here. He's not, I mean, he's still 90 miles an hour. I just, he just kind of missed a little bit and um, I just said, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna, he's either gonna finish one way or the other. He said, I needed to basically go through that and he knew that we would win that game. So he told me that afterward and it was just unbelievable. He had. He had the most amount of confidence in me than anyone in that stadium, anyone on TV watching, you know. It was uh, pretty cool to know that from someone like him. So Jake Mulholland would stay in and try to finish it out with the bases packed. He ended up kind of making a small mess for himself. And uh, of course, he knew that the guy that came up, he was the founder of the Rally Banana, the infamous Rally Banana. Jordan Westberg, the freshman who started the rally banana trend, now had a chance to complete a rally himself. He had actually just like hit a grand slam or something in the super regionals, or I don't know, maybe hit like 10 grand slams a year. It was like some ridiculous where he's the person who hits all these grand slams. Jake Mulholland was right the first time. Jordan Westberg had hit one grand slam a few days earlier in the College World Series, but Mulholland is a drama queen after all, so let's say 10 grand slams. I knew just between me and Coach Yeski and Adley that we were probably not going to give this guy a fastball at all. Westberg could win the game with a home run, so Mulholland's entire approach was specifically to avoid anything close to a homer. If I throw a good changeup, it's a swing and a miss or a ground ball to the shortstop. And so that was the game plan. I was probably only going to be throwing off speed until we got an out <laughs> for that reason. Bases loaded, two down, bottom of the ninth for Westberg. A grand slam against North Carolina here on Tuesday. Part of a seven RBI game to tie a College World Series record. Westberg has thrice flied to center. Stephen Kwan is in center field. Forgot about that a long time ago, but he's out there. If 
Westbrook hits another ball that way. It would be interesting to see if Steven has the hamstring, the leg, to chase it down. Bases loaded, two down, bottom of the ninth, five to two Beavers. 0-1 to Westberg. Mulholland delivers, fastball swung on and missed. 0-2 the count. Surprisingly, using a fastball early in the at-bat, Mulholland fired it past Westberg to make it 0-2. The fifth time in the inning, Mulholland had gotten a hitter in an 0-2 hole. Moley had gotten the first two guys out, but that was a long time ago. This half inning alone had already lasted 18 minutes. When it was 0-2 on McNamee, Elijah worked the walk. When it was 0-2 on Dustin Skelton, Mulholland hit Skelton to load him up. Now 0-2 on Westberg. Bases loaded, two down, bottom of the ninth, 5-2 Beavers. 0-2 to Westberg, Mulholland delivers. Fastball high and away, ball one, one and two. I was like, oh yeah, if they hit a grand slam, we lose. And then I was like, ah, it's all right, Molly's got him. Jack Anderson felt confident, but it was a different experience for guys who weren't playing defense and had no hand in what was about to happen. For example, Tyler Malone, the designated hitter, and Kyle Novak, who had been subbed out earlier. I think being in the performance, I was less nervous always. And then being out of the performance, you don't have a lot of control or you don't have a say in what can happen. So watching and, and trying to be a fan at that point is definitely without questions nerve wracking. I just felt bad for Moley in a sense because it was just he was grinding, he was grinding, he was grinding. But at the same time, I had 100% confidence in him and I knew he was going to pull it out. Mulholland from the stretch, Jake Reddy, the one-two pitch, tapped foul at the plate. He stays alive. Westberg is a fighter. The at-bat came down to the next delivery, Mulholland's 33rd pitch of the inning. The Beavers were cruising and were a strike away. Two outs, nobody on, and an 0-2 count to McNamee. And now Mulholland trying to find it within himself to get that final strike, that final out, and send the Beavers into the championship series. Bases loaded, two down, bottom of the ninth. The one-two pitch hit sharply to Grenier. He goes to Madrigal at second for the force. The game is over. The Beavers survive. They have won four straight elimination games and will play for the national championship in a best-of-three series next week against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Yeah, last out, that was a sigh of relief. That's the kind of toughness that you had to have, and that's the kind of toughness that our team did have, where it's like, oh, this is not going our way right now, but we were still able to smother the fire and get out of that without blowing it. Kevin, just what was it like for you watching that ninth inning there? And what's going through your head in that moment? That Molly's going to get him out. That was it. <laughs> that was, I mean, Molly's a drama queen, so he likes to make things fun. <laughs> The biggest thing that I remember from that, Molly, uh, he like went in to go shake like Rutch's hand after the game and he like turned around and his like hat was flailing off his head and he was just like, oh my gosh, like that was crazy stressful. Jake Mulholland, the drama queen, took his curtain call and Tyler Malone could see the weight of near catastrophe showing on Molly's face. But I, I just, I could see his face right now. Like, yeah, I'll remember that face forever. Just like how he just looked all worn out and tired, but he, he definitely uh, he definitely grinded through that, that's for sure. 
If there was a ranking of all the people in Omaha that night in order of who was the most grateful Jake Mulholland got that final out, I'm guessing Mulholland himself is at the top, but number two is probably Stephen Kwan, who thankfully did not get any fly balls that would have tested his injured leg. So how big of a relief was it that the ground ball oh, So relieving. That was good for my heart. Another guy who was especially glad to see that play work out, the guy who actually made the play, Caden Grenier, who fielded the ball but nearly made an error. I fielded it clean, but when I went to transfer, the ball just kind of got lost in my glove. And so, you know, anybody that's ever taken a ground ball and, and had that feeling knows, like, your panic is just instant, like, oh, crap. Caden felt the panic coming, but the way he explains it next, it's almost like things went into slow motion for him as he was grasping for the elusive ball. Every time I talk about it, like I kind of shock myself and I'm almost like proud of myself for how I handled that moment because I couldn't find it for a second, but I knew the only way that you can go about that without compounding the error is to stay calm and just make sure that your second grab is to get a hold of that ball. This reminds me of all the mental skills training we talked about earlier in this series. The whole idea of mental conditioning is to focus the mind on what's right in front of you, rather than being overwhelmed by distracting thoughts and emotions. And Caden did not let the moment beat him. I stayed calm somehow, even in the pressure situation, and was able to just deliver a good throw to Nick. And yeah, after the fact, I was definitely like, oh man, that kind of sucked. But at the same time, I was kind of proud of myself going like, hey, I, I didn't cave under the pressure of that situation and compound, you know, make a really big error. The funny thing is, even though mental skills training was huge for many Oregon State players, it never really clicked with Caden. He did take some advice here and there from Alan Jager, for example, but he just didn't get a lot out of the meditation sessions or the tapping exercises, and as most any sports psychology coach will say, as helpful as mental training is, it's not for everybody. There are players who just don't need it. And for Caden, he stayed calm in that moment, and it wasn't because of some visualization he had done. Each player just has their own path, and Caden's path led him to a calm mind, an exceptional performance, and an Oregon State victory. That victory ended the 2018 season for Mississippi State, and for all the teams that did not win the national championship, the Bulldog season was probably the most impressive. A losing record halfway through the year, plus an unexpected departure of the head coach during the season, and Gary Henderson led Mississippi State to the College World Series as the interim head coach. Great experience for the coaches, but a great experience for the players. They learn, you know, it's a higher education, right? We're in college, and they learn that from the, the most humble, brutalist beginnings, you can turn something into an overwhelmingly positive experience. And that's what we've done. And we didn't get to the final two. We got to the final four, and, and I couldn't be more proud. Gary Henderson, the job he's done at Mississippi State is second to none. You know, that, that's pretty impressive. I have all the respect in the world for Gary, who John Cohen should soon elevate from uh, the interim tag to the head coach. The decision was indeed made soon on whether or not Gary Henderson would be made the official head coach. And while Henderson led the Bulldogs to the College World Series and expressed that he wanted to remain the head coach, just 24 hours after the loss to Oregon State, Gary Henderson was let go as Mississippi State cleaned house and then hired Indiana's head coach, Chris Lamonis. It seemed like Gary Henderson's efforts had merited something better, but the good news was that Coach Henderson did land on his feet, getting hired as the pitching coach at the University of Utah, where he has remained to this day. 
I remember it like it was yesterday and when we won that game, I, I think a lot of people, myself included, I think the relief came from, hey, we, we could take a breath. If we lose a game, it's okay. And not saying, hey, we wanted to lose, but I mean, shoot, we just played the highest state games for five games in a row. That's not easy to do. With the win, Oregon State's next contest would be the first one in five games where the season wouldn't end if they lost. They would get a day off and then start the best of three championship series scheduled to start Monday. We also all in the back of our mind knew that, you know, we still had two other games that we wanted to win. We didn't care so much about Mississippi State or, or any of the other teams. We, we're not finished. We want to win. We're not here just for, you know, a second place trophy. Like, we want to win this. Another long and exhilarating day in Omaha. The Beavers aren't, they're not done yet. They have played their way through four elimination games and won them all. It is shades of 2006. They do have margin for error. And if it's going to be a, an encore of sorts, a repeat, then of course they need to lose Monday, right? And come back and win Tuesday and Wednesday. That's going to do it for us here tonight in Omaha. I want to thank all of you for listening and tuning our way. Our thanks This has been episode 12 of Dynasty in the Woods. Next week, we start reliving the championship series versus Arkansas. If you can't get enough of this podcast series, you can listen to all the remaining episodes right now. Check out the show notes to learn more. Also, please leave a review for this podcast. It really helps spread the word so that more Beaver fans can re-experience the magical 2018 season. Radio broadcast used with permission from Learfield IMG College. I've been your host, Josh Warden. Have a great day, everyone, and let's talk next week.